Thank you so much, Natalie, for those prayers in particular. Thinking about my mom, God bless her, she was a nutritionist before there really were nutritionists. She was like, this was 1970s, she was into all this nutrition, and as kids, I did not appreciate that at all. In fact, it really was negative for me, right? There, like, you'd be eating something, and all of a sudden, you'd be like, something's off with this. Like, it's a pancake. How can a pancake be off, Mom? Wheat germ is much healthier for you. Wheat germ pancakes is the way of the future. I'm like, I don't think so, Mom. No, right? I remember going for the peanut butter, and of course, I'd have to try and chip it away because it couldn't be like jiffy or good tasting stuff, right? It was cement, it was hard as a rock. Or, or in middle school, I counted one time, I had 13 vitamins that I would take every morning because my mom was a nutritionist. Before her time, I'd just take them all at once because it was too long to keep going like that. So my aunt and uncle approached my parents one day about a business adventure that they would open up potentially a health food store. And that was right in my mom's wheelhouse. And they were excited. It was, this is in the western suburbs of Chicago in the 1970s. And so we opened up and really, it was kind of a family business. We, we did this together, even though I was very young. It was just, they were talking, they didn't quit their day jobs, right? They were taking a risk, but they invested quite a bit. And, and they asked us all to play a role. So me and some of my friends, we got together and we delivered flyers for the new health food store that was opening. That was our role, and they rewarded us with soft-serve yogurt. That was before TCBY or anything, and we loved the, the soft-serve yogurt at the store. Um, my, my older siblings, my brother and my sister, they got to do what I really wanted to do. They got to put on a panda suit and dance on the corner and invite people into the family business. Uh, unfortunately, um, the business did not make it. My, my dad said it was about uh, 10, maybe 10 years, 15 years before its time, right? So they had health food sandwiches, and they had all the vitamins, they had soft-serve yogurt and so forth. It was a little bit before their time, and, and I remember that significantly, and I think that that has some lessons for us in the Christian faith. We've been in a series in this Advent on family ties. And, and we have seen how God cares about our families. God cares about our relationships, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters. And he cares about and heals and restores our families. We've also seen that he creates new family, the family of God. He sets us, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation or by ourselves. There's no such thing biblically as a lone ranger Christian that we're meant to be in community in a new family of God. We saw last week that part of being in this new family is being a family on mission, right? Engaging in God's overall work and advancement of his kingdom in this world. 
Did you know, and I think sometimes people miss this, that the family of God, the aspect of the family of God, is not just a family on mission, but also a family called to ministry, especially to one another. That we're called to, we're, we're given gifts and abilities and resources to leverage those things, especially for the family and the ministry to one another. That's why there's so many one another's in scriptures, right? To love one another and bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to confess to one another. There's this idea of ministry that the new family of God is meant to share in ministry with one another. There's this beautiful moment that Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I think you could say he's speaking to his disciples and, and he wanted to, to get to this important point. And he said, I never, no longer call you servants. I read it as just servants. But I'm calling you to something more. This is John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Did you know God has a business? It's a big family business. Instead, I have called you friends. Interesting. He's inviting the apostles in that moment, he's inviting you and I more than just servants, but to a friendship that together we serve the master's business, the father's business. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. He's not saying... Don't ask any questions. Just do what I tell you. I'm God. No. That's not the dynamic of the relationships. He's saying, I'm inviting you into the no. I'm inviting you into the family business. And I have a role for you to play. See, I think that scripture begs a number of questions in terms of our life and faith. One question is, are you just a servant right now? Or are you a friend of God? Second question is, do you know what the family of God's business is? If you had to articulate it, what would you say that family business of God is. Another question is, have you found your role in that family business? Even if it's putting on a panda suit and jumping on the corner, have you found your role in the family business of God yet? If you would, would you turn with me to to Luke chapter 2. We're going to continue reading some of the, the, the birth narratives, the stories of the incarnation. This actually is coming from a, uh, 
a, after the birth of Christ, so we're putting it a little bit forward. We're going to see two characters. Uh, we're going to meet two really intriguing individuals that are part of the family of God. And as, as we read them, I want you to hold this idea of a family. The family of God is called to ministry and ask the question, what's their role in the family of God? How is God working uniquely in them? And what does that mean to me? And I also want you to read, as we read, we're going to we're going to be uh, starting in verse 22. I think I had 21 on the, on the bulletin, but 22. And also how they understand, at least at this point, the family business of God. We're going to look at those two things. So it's Anna and Simeon, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. So in the Jewish tradition or culture, it was the firstborn males that were consecrated or given. They were to serve the, the Lord full time. That was to be their role as really priests. All right? Just out of curiosity, I'm wondering how many in the sanctuary you're like Jesus were the firstborn male of your family. Could you stand up if you're the firstborn male of the family? This is really interesting. Wow, that's more than I thought, all right? Do you know in a Jewish context, you were to be the priests that served the temple as firstborn? Okay, you can sit down now. Now, um, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, something else that in the context of Jerusalem, or in uh, the Jewish context is, they brought about, instead of having every firstborn male serve the temple, God used the Levites, the tribe, he said, instead of the firstborn males, we'll have the Levites serve as uh, the temple uh, servants, the priests in that. So let me ask you this. Who is full-time in ministry, and that's your pro profession, that's how you live your life, whether it's in the church, whether it's a parachurch organization like Compassion International, would you stand? All right. Huh, interesting. Less. Yeah, Kathy. <laughs> Come on. All right. Okay, celebrate recovery. So in essence, in the Jewish context, you can sit down. Thank you very much. The Jewish context, they took the Levitical priesthood and they really replaced the firstborn male to be the primary priests that served the temple. Are you with me? So I think this is going to be important for later in the message. 
And, and so Jesus was a firstborn male, and they came and they sacrificed, and he would be replaced by the Levitical priesthood. Also, there was some uh, cleansing rituals that they had to do for Mary as she gave birth to Christ. All right, so hold on to that idea. They're in the temple for those purposes, for the sacrifices. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, verse 25, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, I love Luke's telling, he makes sure we see who the agent of the kingdom of God is, that the Holy Spirit is all over this work. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple court. When the parents brought in the child, the child Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The children's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine this, this stranger, this unknown person knowing so much about their child? Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at the very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. There was this idea of these people. Can you imagine Mary and Joseph bringing the child in, and these two individuals, which I'm assuming they didn't know, all of a sudden recognize the significance and the importance. They recognized what God was doing in their time. They recognized that God was at work and they were shaping their lives around the activity of God in the world. A beautiful example is this. Let me ask this question. How would you articulate 
the business, the family business of God, if someone were to ask you, I'm drawn to two phrases in these passages of Scripture. Did you, did you, did you note the two phrases? One was the consolation of Israel. Now think about Simeon for a moment. Right? He's, he's got the Holy Spirit that is, it's very clear that the Holy Spirit is at work in Simeon. And Simeon, I would say, looks back to some of the prophets and the leaders and the kings in the Old Testament where we see the Holy Spirit is upon them and being used for the glory of God, participating in the family of God. But also I would say that Simeon, his life, is an anticipation of the new covenant. That same spirit that was on Simeon to do the things that God called him to do is available and upon you and me. Right? We, we see this both a, a looking back and understanding of the work and the role that he had and looking forward to Pentecost when the Spirit of God would come upon and use us in similar ways to be a part of the family business. I would say if, you, if I push the analogy just a little bit more of a family business, what would be the Holy Spirit's role in the family business. I was thinking maybe one would be an outside consultant that we ask, right? He's technically an inside consultant, but, right, we ask for wisdom and revelation and direction, right? Like that maybe a leadership coach of saying, oh, do this and that. And then also, he is the life, the electricity, the power if we're producing something, the Holy Spirit brings the life and the power at work in the family business. Yes? Yeah. So, the word consolation means literally comfort or solace or encouragement. It's what the Lord Part of what he is articulating is that the Lord is going to come. And maybe that's why I was thinking so much about hope this week. In, uh, in the prayer of the exam, when we use the word consolation and desolation. Right? And so in one sense, Simeon was aware of the desolation and the hardship of Israel. The pain and the struggle of his people and his nation. And he's crying out and waiting, Lord, when will you work in our lives, in our work? And somewhere in, the, in his prayer life, the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, I'm going to bring the Messiah. Don't give up hope. Don't let go that in all of the places of desolation, I will bring my consolation. All the people were longing for 
the consolation of Israel. The uh, Isaiah, the prophet, says this. But into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. The ministry of God includes the comfort, the solace, the healing, and the restoration. That's the the living out of salvation is making our lives whole. That we get to join. Think about Simeon. What was Simeon's role in the kingdom of God? Was he a part of the family of God? Absolutely. In an Old Testament transitional way, yes. What was his ministry? What was his ministry? Say again. Prayer, praise, and worship. A prophetic word. He said a prophetic word. That was his ministry. Yes. Did you notice how he's blessing He had a ministry of blessing, of affirming, of speaking God's truth to his people, which is really a a prophetic ministry. He was living that role. And in prophetic nature, he wasn't just speaking of comfort and strength, was he? What was he also speaking of? Conflict and difficulty, right? He was saying, hey... There's going to be a rise and fall as as this gospel, as this Messiah goes out. You're going to receive comfort and there's going to be joy and praise and hallelujah. And even especially to Mary, he says, Mary, there's going to be a, a sword that pierces your own heart as well. He was playing a powerful role in the ministry of God. Comfort and joy, yes, but conflict. Simeon was part of the mission, uh, the ministry of the family of God. He recognized and found his role in that, and he was living that in a significant way, I believe, as a model to us that to be a part of the family of God is to be in ministry together. Let's talk about Anna. Anna, we know a little bit more about. She was older. Probably she lived, she lived with her husband, for, was married for seven years. And then she, he died And she decides not to get remarried and not to have children. Is she a part of the family of God? Absolutely she is. 
In fact, her culture, especially the culture at the time, would have cut, don't you want to get married again? Don't you want to have children? Don't you? And that was not her role. In fact, I think this should be an encouragement to many of us who are single, right? That you are no less a family member in the, in the family of God. That, that you're placed in there and have a role in God's family. A significant role that uh, he calls us to play. She stands in the line of female prophets. Just like Simeon, looking back at the Old Testament, you had Miriam, Deborah, Huldah. Right? She's living into this, actually, female prophetesses. This line of female prophetesses living in that. Uh, of these women speaking authoritatively to the people of God, the children of God. And anticipates, you could say, people in the prophetic ministry in the New Testament, like the, the men and women in the church of Corinth, where they were given prophetic words, like uh, Philip's daughters, they were gifted prophetically. And so she's looking and anticipating that role in particular. Right? There's a phrase that's used in connection to Anna's life. Do you see that phrase? For Simeon, it was the consolation of Israel. In connection to Anna's life, did you catch that cool phrase that's there? Anyone see it? The redemption of Jerusalem. The redemption of Jerusalem. That that is also a part of the ministry of the family. That we're redeeming those broken places. Listen to the the Apostle Paul. He says this, For he, Christ Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sin. He's teaching us that redemption, comfort and strength and peace, but also redemption and the forgiveness of sin and the living out of our salvation is a part of the family business of God. What was Anna's role in that? What was her role in ministry? She told people about it. She was a prophetess, similar to Simeon, right? She's in prayer. I think it's a beautiful thing that she committed her full and complete life to the temple, that her role was that of prayer and worship. Her complete, let me just read that again, verse 36. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel, the tribe of Ashir. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. A friend um, 
he was sharing that his good friend he had to wrestle with that was always in a monastery. And he saw his complete and full ministry was prayer. That was it. He felt like that alone was his ministry. I thought, am I okay with that? Does that make sense? Like, but what does he do? Just like Anna, prayer and worship, she had connected her life to the greater work of God. That even though the culture would have seen this widow with no children, and yet God saw her as connecting her life to his meaning and purposes in this world, and she had found her role, and she chose the role that God had for her over anything else that the world had to offer. So I was praying about the Annas in our congregation. And we don't quite have the temple. We don't have someone who can live at the church uh, just yet, right? But we have, we have uh, a number of folks that I would say are Anna-like in their way. And I, and I asked her if she would share her testimony. Do we have that mic somewhere? I don't know where that mic is. And I wanted to invite... I, I knew that it must be the Holy Spirit because I was praying about this and it was kind of like Ananias from last week when the Lord was saying, invite this individual up. I'm like, no, Lord, it can't be. She's a Green Bay Packers fan. I just don't think that would be an appropriate thing. And yet, so Josie, would you want to come up? And I don't know if many of you have met Josie before. Um, but she's been a, a part of the church for a long, long time. Come on up. And so Josie does two things. One is um, she, in her professional life, she serves a ministry of YWAM. Many of you know YWAM and have been trained about that. Josie, would you share a little bit about what you do for YWAM? Well, what I'm doing right now is, is I work in our office and I process all the donations that come in as checks. And uh, I also get a lot of updates from our field staff and I pray for them. So would you say the Ministry of Administration and Prayer? Mm-hmm. And you raise your own support for mm-hmm. a while I am. And I think in particular, Josie will put out some newsletters, and so especially Ukraine, to read about what YWAM has been doing in Ukraine and how those field workers responded was really, really powerful. And I was tremendously thankful for Josie's ministry in YWAM, right? And to those field workers, especially in Ukraine, but YWAM is around the world. And then, Josie, what would you say your ministry here at the church primarily is? Well, I am part of the pre-service prayer in, on Sunday mornings because I really believe, just as probably many of you have heard people say, well, all I can do is pray. And don't 
realize that's the most powerful weapon God has given us. The Lord showed me that when I was a young Christian, and, and I believe in it, that. And so I felt it was important to pray for our services because we never know who's going to walk through the door that needs to know the love of Christ and needs to hear there's a way of hope for them, a way this world is just our training ground for whatever God has for eternity. And I want to be in on God's part, not Satan's. So, Can we thank Josie for her ministry to us and around the world? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think very Anna-like in her ministry to us. So I wanted to say a few more things this morning. One is this. Would you say, what is your position in the family business? What is God inviting you to do? I I, want to be a little bit challenging this morning. Is that I would say a lot of the American church does not have a family of God business mentality. It has a consumer mentality. And Sunday morning represents our consumption of the faith. And really what this is suggesting is that we have an employee, that we're employees, whatever role that we're serving, if I keep the idea that the analogy of the family business, the master's business, that we would go not only, not just simply be servants, but to friendship with God, knowing the master's business, but also go from consumer, and of course there's an element of consuming that we take. There's an element of being filled and being renewed. I'm not saying... No, no to all consumerism, but I am saying more than that, we're called to be employees. In fact, Exodus 19.6, way back, talks about God's initial plan for us was not that we would just have one tribe or the firstborn among us to be priests. In fact, his initial purpose and calling was that we would be a kingdom made up of priests. That everybody, that that was way back in Exodus and then in in, uh, Revelation 5.10 it says, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth forever. He had this idea that all of us, firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, all of us, men and women, would be a kingdom of priests, that we would be ministering to one another, to caring for one another, and ministering to the world in that way. Would you look at your neighbor and say, did you know you're a priest? 
Did you know you're a priest? It doesn't matter how old you are or young you are. He's raising us up. That's his view of the church today. In the Reformation, they had this big idea. They looked at the leadership of the church and they said, we're missing it to a certain degree. And they came up with this phrase. Does anyone know the phrase that I'm pushing towards? In the Reformation, the 1600s. You weren't there. Are you sure, Mikey? You might have been right just after. What I heard it. What is it, Kathy? The priesthood of a few, a selected few of believers. No, that wasn't the phrase, was it? The priesthood of all the firstborn. No, that was the the priesthood of all believers. Of all believers. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, He has plans and purposes for you to serve the ministry of the church and the mission of the church. That He has uniquely gifted you. He's given you your personality. He's given you your likes and your interests and your desires. And He's inviting you, like Simeon and like Anna, to discover that role at play and live that out in that way. And friends, we are close to the, the, new, uh, the new year. And I want to suggest, if you don't know what your role in the family of God is, would you seek that next year you're going to discover that and begin serving in that role? It doesn't matter what that role is, right? You, at the very least, at the beginning place, you could say, well, I'm going to start with prayer, just like Josie. I'm going to come before the service, and just start committing my life to prayer, right? Isn't that a, would you, Veda, do you think that's a good starting place? Veda thinks that's a really good starting place of prayer. You, that, that could be the beginning place of your ministry here at the church. I am convinced that God gives us many passions, many desires, many gifts to serve the body. Of course, uh, in 1 Corinthians, the, he uses an analogy of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's talking about the gifts and abilities. The manifestation of the Spirit, the same Spirit that was upon Simeon. The same Spirit that was revealing to Simeon what his role in the kingdom of God, that he could be dismissed. That same spirit has a manifestation in your life and he's giving it to you. And then Paul will say, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Whether it's an ear, an eye, a big toe. Some of you I think are a big toe. Mikey, yes, I was thinking of you in that, right? And he's saying, what is that role and how do you live that? I'm convinced that many of us have a number of gifts, right? 
when I talk with people who would say, yeah, I'm Christian, but I haven't attended church for a long time, there's a neglect of your priestly function when you're not part of a community. You're missing it, right? Now, just keep in mind, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know that many of you serve in many of that. But would you allow whatever challenge the Holy Spirit has for you? He's inviting you to be a part of a priesthood and a ministry that God wants to use you and fold you and use the gifts that you have in the ministry. No matter if it's dancing on the corner in a panda suit or if it's simply a place of prayer, God has a role for you. Would you serve that place? Can we take a moment of prayer and invite Jedediah and the worship team forward? And some of you are serving Yeah, so I just feel like there's a, a the, the Lord is saying something about waiting. And so Simeon and Anna were waiting. But part of the ministry of God in their lives as they were waiting was their service. You see that? And when I asked you to think about Where's that place that you need hope to be filled in? If I could feel that from you, I could feel some of that difficulty and pain. And part of the invitation is that as we wait for the consolation of Israel, of our lives, as we wait for God to redeem whatever circumstance we're wrestling with. So we are called to that faithful service as a part of our waiting. So Lord, would you teach us? Would you disciple us, Holy Spirit? Lord, it's an incredible thing to think of ourselves as part of your priesthood. That you've given gifts and desires that you want to use for the family business, for redemption or consolation. So Lord, would you teach us our place and our role in this beautiful work that you are doing in this world that so desperately needs your consolation and redemption. Amen. Amen.